Welcome to Living Social Justice Podcast, an initiative of Common Ground Church and Common Good, where we explore our lifestyle response to topics of social justice. Our hope is that a growing number of Christ followers begin to individually and collectively live out justice, creating a groundswell of positive change in our society. Hi, I'm Sharon Ploppers from the Common Good team, and I'll be your host today as we explore another topic of social justice. Today, we have John Skippers here with me. Um, John, thank you so much for joining me and being willing to share something of your story. That's an absolute pleasure. Um, so John has a little bit of a different story, not a common grounder, but we've gotten to know John through a study cohort that John's been running. Um, John, maybe just to start, tell us a little bit about the study cohort that we've been, we've had the privilege of being a part of. So our whole creation support team of Common Good have signed up for the Isipambano um, course looking at cross-centered justice. So tell us a little bit more about that course and um, what that course offers. Yeah, so um, that's really a part of uh, the bigger Isipambano ministry, which is really trying to think through issues of cross-centered contextual justice in a South African context. Um, and the cohort really came about as a means to say, uh, as a means to serve those who said, I've got a little bit of, of, of interest in this. I'm, I'm understanding the need to wrestle with my faith and justice, but I, I really want to look at it deeper. I want to understand it, uh, go deep into understanding a bit of what is a robust theological engagement? What does it mean to take that theology into the context um, and just go a little bit deeper, spend a little bit more time thinking over those things, pondering them, discussing them with others, having input, doing some reading. Um, so it's doing a little bit more heavy lifting than um, than a normal average course maybe. Um, but really, that's who it's designed for, for that person who wants to go a little bit further. Really, in one sense, aimed at church leaders and, yes. and um, people who have that time during the day, but yes. of course, open to anyone. Okay, so I want to ask you a whole lot more questions about that a little bit later. Sure. But what I've particularly <coughs> loved is just that it's a South African voice, a South African who um, understands our history and our context. And so engaging with all sorts of other voices and other readings, but right. what does that mean for us here in Cape Town, South Africa today? I've loved that particularly from my side. So yeah. for this series where we're talking living social justice series, how do we um, bring a voice to Cape Townians, Christ mm. followers here in Cape Town, um, living out social justice as a gospel response? Yeah. I want to focus a bit more on, just before we get into the more of this Pambano stuff, your personal life. So. Right. Just tell us a bit about growing up in Cape Town, where you grew up, how you grew up, um, right? how that all happened. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Cape Town uh, born and bred. Uh, I've lived here most of my life. Um, yeah, one, one, one year outside of Cape Town, not even a full year, but um, other than that, I've been in Cape Town my whole life. I, I love Cape Town with... Uh, with all its beauty and all its complexity and all its brokenness, it's mm. it's in it's in me. Um, I'd be very sad if God called me to live somewhere else. But so I'm Cape Townian, born and bred, and I think I've thought and I've felt a lot about this place. So um, grew up um, grew up in Fishhook, uh, as I say, Fishhook born and fled. Um, <laughs> It's kind of place you either love or you don't. Uh, I'll leave you to work out which one it's me. Um, yeah. Um, I guess my my I, I don't come from a Christian home at all. Um, so I think I went to Sunday school when I was younger. We lived next door to church. I think I was a bit hyper, and my mom didn't know what to do with me, so sent me to church. And we we didn't grow up with lots of money, but I, I have a very good memory 
pretty sharp. And I, I quickly discovered if you went to church um, and you could remember the memory verse, they gave you sweets. <laughs> uh, so I went back every week because ah. sweets were a rarity in my house. Um, and, you know, maybe not the best of motives, but, but God did something and God started working in me then. Um, but then we moved away because we, we moved a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we grew up working class, so we lived... <laughs> We live, we live month to month. We, live, we moved around a lot. Um, and um, so, so, so we moved away from church, and that was kind of it. And I always knew about God. But then um, I was very independent, very kind of uh, out there wanting to experience things um, from a very young age. And so I heard about Scripture Union camps. So I got involved in Scripture Union. And now this is probably giving my age, my age bit. But, I mean, we're talking mid-80s, I think. I think I can't even do the maths myself. <laughs> somewhere around there. Um, so I was in standard two, somewhere around there, grade four. And uh, I, went on, I went on my first camp, and I loved it. Um, and I went on scripture union camps throughout primary school, throughout high school. Um, and it really was a shaping and molding of my faith. Um, it's where I came to know Jesus. It's where I met people who discipled me. It's where I met people who became my role models, my mentors, um, who I really learned what it was to be a Christian, what it was to be a man. Yeah. Um, it just has had such a profound effect. Some of my best friends today are still people uh, that from I met days. through those days. Um, and I still have contact with many people from those days um, and have a profound influence in my life. Um, was I care on going? Yes, keep <laughs> okay. going. So, so, so how, how is that different to another boy your age growing up in this space? So the interesting thing is, so, so what Scripture did is that it, it, was, it was mixed race. Mm. So it was multicultural uh, from a Christian base. So when I came to faith, as I was exploring the faith, as I came to know faith, it, w- it, faith, it was in, in a context of people who didn't look like me, people who weren't right. like me, people who lived in radical different, radically different circumstances to me, people who are grappling with different issues in their communities to me. And those people became my friends. They became my mentors. They became the people I looked up to. Uh, they, they became the people I aspired to be like. Um, and so as I grew in my faith, it, it was kind of always mixed with this, this, this different culture. And, and Scripture, particularly as we started getting older and older into high school, they started doing some stuff, which I actually <laughs> said to one of my friends, how did, how did you not get arrested for? <laughs> um, and we started, they started doing sort of like experiential games and um, what do you call those, like wide games where you, you kind of doing these, the, the, these, these games, but they have, a very, they have a meaning, they have a point. I've completely forgotten what the term is. Um, <laughs> but, but really looking at the situation in South Africa, um, and, and getting us to think through things of economic uh, disparities, of racial disparities. And at the same time, you're doing the, you, you, you're having to have these, you, you're involved in these experiences, but then you, you're debriefing this with people who don't look like you, with people who, that is yes. their reality. And so that, that profoundly shaped me. Yeah. Um, and so I always grew up, uh, grew up knowing and being aware of some of the realities of South Africa. And that was integrally linked to my faith. In fact, that was the place where I learned about this. So I'd go back to school and I remember someone's arguing with people because I went to an all-white school. And I remember arguing with people because I was having different experiences yes. that they didn't have. And so, so I don't think I always knew what to do with that, but that, that was just my faith and justice and, and, and racial inequality and economic inequality. Were, they kind of grew up together in my life, yeah. But for, for you, that was really in your formative years. Mm. So now you must be meeting <coughs> white South Africans, same age as you, yeah. that are trying to have those conversations now as an adult. What do you think the impact was for you that you were able to have 
those conversations and those experiences as a young boy, as a young man? Do you think there's any difference in that? I often wonder, what would I have been like if my mm. childhood could have been different? If I, have I lost 10, 20 years mm. of my life by starting to have these ideas and questions later on? Yeah, yeah, I think um, so. I don't, I don't paint the picture like I was like completely woke and I knew <laughs> what was going on. And I think I've learned a lot, and I think I'm still learning, and I'm still sure, growing. Sure. And I think there's been been moments, but being exposed um, to to people who are different to me, being uh, and being in these communities, having these issues raised for me, um, I, I honestly, I, I actually sometimes struggle to to relate to white people um, because I sometimes feel like I don't. I don't share those same struggles and the things people that I find many people my age are struggling with. I'm like, I, I don't get it. Yes. What is, what is the big deal? It, Cause it's almost feels like second nature to me. Now I have my own struggles, my own things that I have to work out because sure. apartheid has affected me as much as anyone else. But I, I find that I, I often struggle to connect with those same struggles. Um, and it's been a very, it's, I, I know there's, there's something that um, the missionaries often talk about being belonging to a third culture where they, they don't, they're not at home in their co in their culture, but they're also an outsider to their to to the culture that they've been received, and so they kind of feel like they're in this third culture, and and that's something that resonates wow. with me quite a bit. Um, in one sense, I don't often don't feel at home in white culture and and with people um, who've had grown up in very similar circumstances to me. Um, but clearly, I am white, so I'm not <laughs> I'm not coloured or black, and I'm not I don't belong there. So where do I fit in? And I just so it's it's been very interesting, but. At the same time, I think it's helped me to to really question and learn and to grow and to um, to kind of have a bridging experience in South Africa, which a lot of people haven't. Um, yeah, I don't know why, why God has given that to me because yes. <laughs> it can be very uncomfortable sometimes. Yes. Um, but um, but I'm very grateful for it and love to and and so I, I seek to say, well, how do we use that yes. to to further God's to kingdom? How do we help, how, how do we help the, how do we use that to help and grow the church, yes. a church which has been so divided by apartheid? Yes. Okay, so let's carry on talking about church. Just tell us about the churches you've been involved in, particularly in the inner city. Um, what does that look like for you? How did you get into ministry? <coughs> How's your faith impacted? Sure, that part of your life. Um, so my my ministry journey is quite an interesting one. Um, so I um. Yeah, I went to Bible college a couple of years after school. So I went very young. Um, I think people said, oh, you've got gifts, off you go. And I didn't really know what to do. So I went. Um, and so I got into ministry in a church, in a conservative evangelical church. And it's interesting. I found myself in, and I, I can only articulate this later, but there was a dichotomy within me, whereas my theology and my church culture was very different and very white and very much shaped by that. Um, and, I, and I held to that theology and I believe in that theology and I still largely hold to a lot of that theology but it was shaped by a white church culture um, whereas I would leave church and I would go hang out with my friends who were completely different and sometimes they would come with me to church and they couldn't relate right. or they could but they had to adapt to who they were yeah. and I think it took me a long time to and, and there was just this, 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 this break and yeah. so um, and I felt like I had to choose between yeah. Jesus and justice and economic issues and i i wish i'd realized the sooner i didn't and i i wish i could have brought the two together but so i i found that the the part of me that although i think my individual 
um, my individual uh, racism and struggle and stuff like that had been had been had, had moved along so much because of my interactions with different people, because of my close friendships, because of my learning and growing in that area. I hadn't actually got to the point of of really kind of pinpointing the reality that, that the racism is in the church as well, that mm -hmm. the racism uh, is structural as well, and that these systems are happening. And so, I I kind of was was involved in church. I was a youth pastor. I was a system pastor, I was all kinds of things, I involved in ministry for many years, but always feeling like, and, and not really being able to put my finger on it, like there was, there was something that wasn't quite right, and yes. I didn't know what to do with this. Um, yeah. And then I think someone put a book in my hand um, about 15, 16, 18 years ago, something like that now. Maybe not so long. I don't know. I'm getting old. I can't do maths <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time ago. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Um, and it was by someone who was firmly evangelical, who was in my camp, who was absolutely someone who was a trusted voice. Yes. And it was a book called uh, Good News to the Poor by Tim Chester. And here he was, and he was saying, actually, the church has a mandate and a mission to care for the poor. It's part of who we are. And uh, the, the gospel is good news to the poor. And, and it was just laid out a, a brilliant book, and it just the light just came on for me. You, yeah. and, I was, and, and it's something that came alive in me again. I said, wait, hang on. I don't, I don't have to make this choice. Yes. And that kind of, in some ways, was a watershed moment for me um, because uh, slowly, slowly, my life direction and my change, my choices, my relationship with my ch with the churches I'm involved in started changing as I started questioning, as I started saying, "Hang on, but I'm not wrong. This is a there's actually a whole group over here, a whole movement within evangelicalism that is actually saying we have to think about this, and this is right and it's biblical. And wait, let's go back to scripture. Let's look at, yes. let's argue about it. Um, and so that set me on a just a, a very different trajectory. Right, mm -hmm. so now noticing kind of like you're talking about structural inequalities, economic inequalities, and that they're actually present in the church. Right. So help me think through what does it mean for me as a Christ follower to integrate exactly what you're saying, where you feel like these two things are too far apart and can never be right. together. How, how do I start that journey as a Christ follower marrying scripture and the brokenness of the world and <coughs> what God would call us to or that integral mission? How do I right. figure out how my faith and life, lifestyle response, how I live my everyday life, how do I figure out what that's meant to look like? Well, I, I think part of it is that we have, um, we have, we have a gospel which very often, and a way of reading scriptures as white Western evangelicals, which has actually ignored vast parts of God's concern for the poor and God's concern and, and, and love for breaking down racial inequalities and stuff. And I'm not surprised because I, I grew up in a country where that kind, of, that kind of thinking was frowned upon. And so every, um, everything within our society said we don't think about that. Um, so there were theologies that developed to get us not to think about that. There were, um, and and let's face it, as a as a as a white male South African, now I'm a middle-aged white male. I have a vested interest in not hearing that stuff in mm. scripture. I have a vested interest in hearing that all we are called to do is preach the gospel and get people saved for heaven, and and that's what we need to do. 
And that maybe that's a bit simplistic, but that, that's kind of what we say is that's, the, that, that's all we need to do is we just need to preach, preach, preach and get people ready for heaven. And this world will kind of fall apart or get better. and It'll take care of itself, but we don't have to worry about it. Um, but actually, when, as I started studying scripture and I went back to scripture mm. and I started reading scripture with people who are not like me. Right. And I started saying, what do you see in the scripture? What am I missing? Mm. Uh, people came from a different worldview who still loved Jesus and who still held a high view of scripture, scripture. A mm. high view of scripture. It wasn't some kind of wacky out there theology. Although sometimes reading those the theologies was very helpful because I said, hey, I disagree with that. But they're raising great questions. How does my theology speak to that? So anyway, um, uh so really, you're looking at that and going back and saying, actually, the movement throughout Scripture is to restore what was lost. Mm. To look at saying what was lost in Eden was a holistic life of, of relationships between God and man and uh, God, man, man and man, human and creations. There's all those relationships. And that's what Jesus has come to restore. And we see throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophets, that's always the, the language Jesus says, I'm the one who's coming to restore. I'm the one who's coming to renew and to recreate all things. And he uses that language time and time again. When Jesus comes, he picks up that language. The, the, and the, this has just been such a revelation for me in, in sense saying that's the goal where Scripture is moving. Mm. That's the movement we're caught up in. So it's not like we have this divorce between, um, between proclamation and social action. Yes. It's like we're proclaiming, come and be involved in the kingdom, come and, be, mm. come and be involved in this restored relationship. Mm. You see, the, the, the problem we get stuck in is say, what about people's soul? What about, what about people standing before God? And that's abs absolutely right. And I don't want us to ever go away from that because the problem is, without the cross, is you, the, 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 the good news of the kingdom, which comes to restore all things, is not good news it, to you. It's not good news. It's yeah. not good news because I'm as complicit in injustice as everyone. Mm. So the problem is, I, I need Jesus to pay him to pay the punishment so I can be part of this kingdom. So once I'm redeemed and restored in Christ, I become part of this movement of restoring and renewing and, and recreating all things, a different way of living in the world that turns economic and political and social structures and, and ways of doing things on its head. Right. So that we live completely differently in light of the king. And so for me, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a theological underpinning. Yes. That there needs, there's, there's a mindset shift that needs to change to say, that it's not like I do the real work when I do evangelism. Yes. Yeah, that is the real that work. That is good work. Yeah. That, absolutely, that's real work. But we, we, we do real work when we care for the poor. We do real work when we, when, when we are about God's restoration and renewing of all things mm. because of Jesus. Yeah. So I'm just hearing you talk. Um, it just it, I just love it because it brings back so many memories of what we've been doing as <coughs> being part of this um, study cohort. So is this the first year that you're running this Pambano study cohort? That's right, yeah. Okay, so our team of five of us have joined um one of the cohorts that meets one contact one contact session once a month and then there's a whole lot of prescribed readings in between and i promise i have been doing my readings um but just uh, just thinking back <laughs> at what you're saying now just brings back memories for me that first contact session we had where you almost preached through the story of genesis but from a different lens and mm. i just remember like like you're saying just something um growing inside of me of this is this is a book of the bible that i've read so many exactly, times yeah. but now you're talking about the way things ought to have been or the way things ought to be that's right and the kingdom coming taking things back to the way things ought to be or yeah. just um way bigger than just 
our relationship with God was broken right. and needs to be. So it's not just the the spiritual separation; yes. it's the physical separation, it's the economic separation. All just actually, there's so many. Um, yeah. What what would you call it? Like parad- aspects, yeah. aspects that have yeah. been um, affected by the fall, yeah. and 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 so it's a broader, deeper gospel yeah. that my eyes are being open to. Yeah. So one of the things I want to ask you is, it's almost like we have a lens, but right. we don't know that we have a lens. Yes. And how do how do I ask myself the right questions to help myself see <coughs> the lens that I have or the lens that somebody else might have right. and that it's not a you're right and I'm wrong or I'm right and yeah. you're wrong it's see the lens and um, and maybe look at another lens right yeah I, I think I mean two things is one is, is the one thing I already suggested is read the Bible with someone who's not like you mm. read a book um, that talks about the biblical story by someone who comes from a different context. So if you're a man, read a book by a woman. If you're white, read a woman by uh, read a book by <laughs> read read, a woman. no, please don't do that. <laughs> read a book um, by someone who's black or or, or Hispanic or, or, or whatever. To find someone who comes from a different context, um, e- even someone who's maybe just a little bit different to you theologically. Maybe yes. don't go to someone who's too different to you theologically because that might be just be too difficult. But you're trying to just and say, well, let's see how that person looks. And maybe yes. something. Going, the other thing is, I think it's just this contextual realization that apartheid has affected all of us, um, and it still affects us. I think it's one of the things that we fail to realize about apartheid. Very often, we 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 kind of sometimes stereotype stereotype, um, stereotype the architects of apartheid like they're they're a bit dumb, you know? How could they do that? How could they engage in this racism thing? And I think that that is a fundamental flaw. The the, the people who, who built the system of apartheid were, were, were evil, but they were geniuses. They were evil geniuses, really. And, we have to say, and because it, apartheid was designed to affect every aspect of our life and was designed to affect the way we think. And that included our theological, the way we think theologically because we do our theology from our context and, and, and very often we, we shape our context by our theology. And so... There were, there were prophetic voices. There were people crying out. Sometimes they were sidelined. Sometimes they were radicalized. Some, many times they were ignored. But by and large, I think as a church, we, we developed a theology that allowed us to live comfortably within apartheid whilst almost pretending like we weren't part of apartheid. And so until we get that lens off and we say apartheid has affected every single one of us, it was designed to do it. And it did its job really well. And so I need to say, I'm a white male who's been profoundly affected by apartheid in the way I view uh, people of other races, the way I view women, the way I view people who are different to me. And, I, and that, that's just, that's a non-negotiable. That, that is just the truth. None of us, black, white, male, woman, colored, Indian, got out alive under an apartheid. And I think we just, we kind of just need to make that, draw that kind yes, of line and say, sand. that's mm-hmm. it, we didn't get out alive. So how has it affected me? Yeah. And in, in, in light of your question, how has it affected the way I think about my theology? How has it affected my, the way I think about my faith? How has it affected the way my church has affected my faith? How has it affected the way we set up the structures of our church? And I think all of us as individuals and communally, we need to do, particularly those of us who come from uh, predominantly white churches and white settings, but not exclusively. And we need to, we need to kind of have a, this kind of audit and say, let's just let's look at who we are, what we do, um, and we may keep a lot of stuff, but there may be stuff we're going, ooh, I never thought what that's actually saying to someone else. I never thought how this actually reinforces that message. And we've just been doing it for so long. We think it's normal. 
So it's really get get out of your realize how part it's affected you, including your theology, and and find ways to get out of that in your thinking, in your framework, in your lens. Until you look at it from another point of view, mm. you start going and and, and from, read the Bible with someone else, and someone and some you say, oh, well, that's that's in scripture, and someone says, well, where? Mm. I don't see that. How can you say that from that passage? Of course, it's oh, wait, hang on. Yes. I, but surely, I don't I don't read that. And you suddenly now you and what does that do? It forces us to get not not to go off into crazy political or crazy. Yeah. And we're getting more into scripture, and it's scripture because scripture is going to convict us. Scripture is going to change us. So, yeah. yeah. So, so you've spoken about kind of the individual response. So right. there are things that I can do as an individual, <coughs> um, meeting up with someone from a different context, reading scripture together. What if we take it one step further in terms of um, engaging groups or? Um, even in the church, like how do I engage with my small group or how do I engage with um, my congregation? How do we, as a corporate expression of God's people, engage a bit more or um, again, asking the same question, how do I acknowledge our history as a church and how do I ask the, how do we ask the right questions of um, how do we see what we can't necessarily see? So, um, maybe I'll answer in a slightly roundabout way is that one of the, the goals that we find that I find a lot of churches are talking about and I've spoken about it, is we often talk about the need to have more diversity in, in churches. And that's a good goal. Um, but I don't think it's a goal. I think it's a starting point. And I think What do you mean by that? What, so div what diversity does is it just puts the right people in the room. To have the conversation. To have the right conversations. In the beginning. You see, if we, if we, th and very often we think, hey, we've, we've now got, we were all white, now we've got a lot of, we've got more black people in the room. Hey, we're going places. No, no. Now we're in the, now we we started the place where we can start having the conversations and saying, what does it mean to be a church in this context? What does it mean for our, th how do we read the Bible properly with people who are different to us? How do we interrogate our theology? Because we've actually got some people here who hopefully are coming from a different theological or different contextual angle can, can actually ask the hard questions and see the things we don't see and, and, and vice versa, hopefully. And so I, so I think one of the things we've really got to do as the church is we've got to um, get the right people in the room and give them a voice. So very often what we do is we, uh, particularly in churches that have had a predominantly white background, or even, even I'm going to be honest, many um, quite mixed and diverse churches that have a white leadership, is very often we still, we expect black people to conform to our theological patterns. And that's not because our theological patterns are all wrong when you chuck it out, but very often there's blind spots, and we're not seeing it, and we're not seeing it because we're not listening. We're not, we're, and so I really think, it's it's getting the right people in the room, allowing them to speak, and then taking seriously and asking them. And I think giving them a voice of authority. So if, so one of the things I think the church can really do to change and transform and really uh, start becoming a, a, an ex, a more just expression of um, of the church in South Africa is to deliberately place in leadership, in teaching roles, in authority, in authority roles, people who. Are different, so so if you're a predominantly white church, people in black and colored people in those roles um, deliberately and seek them out and finding them, um, because I think that's going to change it. So we we were changing the dynamics of the conversation. We're changing the questions we're asking. They're changing the way we relate to one another. Um, so I think that's key. Um, at a small group level, by the way, let's say I mean. 
that can be quite difficult. I mean, you don't want to kind of force someone to come I'll into the group. Yeah. But if if you have a, a a small group, for instance, and it's mainly uh, monocultural, I, I think a great thing to do is to say, who can we partner with? Let's wow. can we partner with and have some kind of evening where we hear each other's stories. Hmm. And and it doesn't have to be this deep, intense kind of thing like. Tell me your story of injustice, and we kind of we kind of want to get all serious about it, and it's a serious issue. So, yeah. but 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 sometimes it's just a case of like saying, "Hey, tell me about what was it like growing up in your hustle." Mm. Did, did you what was it like celebrating Christmas? Tell tell me about what was what happened after school. What was your school like? Uh, where did you play? What sports did you play? And as you do that, I think we we start to in the in the normal warp of humanity, and we hear like, "Hey, we both like soccer." Okay, let's but my experience of being in a soccer club and your experience of being in a football club are radically different. Um, okay, well, how does that work out? And, and so we, we start to, to, to learn and to understand by hearing one another's stories, hearing the similarities, but also hearing the, the glaring differences very yeah. often. And if the spirit is working in this, which yes. we believe he is, yes. and hopefully we're open to that, <laughs> we're going to start going, but that's not right. Yes. How can we be sitting here 20 years after apartheid? And that's still true. No. Something's no. wrong. God, yeah. what are we going to do? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I want to throw in um, okay. an example that I've seen in our churches. Um, and you can comment on, um, on oh. what you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just because it's so fascinating t- to me. We're on such a, a learning journey. And we Absolutely. acknowledge that um, very openly. Good. So one of our congregations started a few years ago. Um, a thing called diversity dinners. Right. And so it was a very planned thing. So it was um, a dinner in their home mm-hmm. where they deliberately invited people that probably wouldn't know each other from in the congregation right. um, across uh, across racial lines and deliberately to try and put different voices right. in one space with different stories. And the idea was just an evening of listening. So there was right. going to be a shared meal and um, to really respect every voice in the room and to go around and, and just listen to each person's story and shed communion. And right. it was an incredibly powerful exactly. um, experience that many people went through and yeah. signed up for. And, um, and, it, and it was, it was, it was a great idea um, and, a, and a great experience. And there was a lot of very positive feedback. And then we tried to take that model and just throw it out to a lot of the other congregations right. and just say, just like learn from this pattern, replicate the model. But it almost seemed like, Congregations were then just trying to copy and paste, right? Um, and it didn't necessarily come from a lot of prayer and organic relationship and mm-hmm. leadership. So it was just like, oh well, this congregation have done it, so we'll do it. Who wants to sign up? Right. Um, and for some people, it's been received as really offensive because it almost felt right. token, yeah. like they arrived at someone's house and then suddenly realized they were the token colored person or they were right. the token black person in the room yes and now there was this huge pressure that to perform mm. their story so help just help me understand like um these are hard things and we want to engage we want right. to we want to step closer we want to have the crucial conversations and the hard conversations and we want to um yeah but we want to do it respectfully and well and we want to do it in a way that honors god right and yeah. honors people absolutely um, sure. I think, yeah, I think us white people, and I th- I, maybe it exists for other races, but I, I haven't seen it, so, but that doesn't mean it doesn't. Um, we have a great ability to put people's pain on try on, on for show. 
and then we we feel bad about it and feels terrible and and I think it just needs to be a respect thing and so I mean just in, in your example I mean there's probably a whole lot of other dynamics at play there but one of the things I would have said if you don't want to share your story you don't have to you see now that that immediately gives a person dignity they're saying right. I'm not coming here I'm putting my story and maybe someone's perceptive enough to either at the side in a break or something over coffee say hey I, I don't want to be funny is there a reason maybe why you didn't want to share your story see now you're opening up now you're opening up the real dialogue now that person may choose not to and that's dignity as well but if they do you're opening up a, a chance for a real relationship and it's also just community discipleship exactly it's, just it's, it's, it's just kind of saying hang on as a black person as a colored person my story isn't there just for show if I feel uncomfortable sharing it, if I feel like this is an unsafe space, if I feel people aren't going to understand, because I've been, because I'm not I, but like, as a, because this per, the person will feel like they've been through this experience many times. I, I'm not here to, to perform for white people again, and I've heard people say that, and, and we have to respect that, and so it's, a case, it's, it's a relational thing, it's a dignity thing. Um, and we need to do it in a way that the person is not made to feel like they're less yes. spiritual, yes. like they're being rebellious. In fact, the correct, and I think the godly response is to go, hang on, why does this person not feel safe here? Exactly. So, so we're, that, we're putting this point back to us. And we're saying, well, if there's, oh, well, maybe it's because there's 11 white people here. And, and do you think that could be it? <laughs> I mean, so maybe let's talk about, it. in fact, maybe let's forget the stories. Hey, like, can we interrogate this? Mm. Like, you're welcome to join us. You can tell us or, or, or let, let us think about it. You see, now we're actually doing the work. And it's that why question. Mm. And too often we, we stop and we go, oh, you know, that guy's just being difficult. Why is he being difficult? Mm. And that's, that, is, that changes the dynamics as we try and get in the shoes of another person. Um, so I, I would just, uh, no forced participation in the context of relationships. I, and just, I mean, a sideline, it's, it's one of the things that I found really... Um, kind of unique about my story in some ways not that I'm a perfect person but because I've been allowed to experience different cultures from a young age and, and kind of think through these issues and some of this it's been quite helpful for me sometimes to be able to say to some of my you see you don't understand the dynamics so I, in one sense it's not me putting my pain on on offer but I can I can suggest things and I think we need people more and more who are able to bridge cultures yeah. Um, and that's not just white people. When you, when you black people who may have been to private schools or in UCT yes. who, who are able and who feel strong enough, it's at no point. But we need white people also who've experienced townships and Cape Flats and been to all these and, and have genuine solid roots. They're not, not pretending like and not trying to be an expert or a guru. And I think I'm very careful to say, oh, I understand the culture there. Right. I, I've experienced some of it. Here's my experience. Yes. Um, this could be it. But that person can probably tell you best. But it's just that kind of learning to to say, well, we're the bridging people. Um, and that can even be a step sometimes if sharing stories are too far. Let's find someone. Let's just hear stories that are different. Let's do everything we can. Let, let's not stop until we've... Yeah. Until we've just keep learning. Just keep going. Let's keep learning. Yeah. Um, but respect people's right not to tell their story. Okay, so I've got yeah. another question for you. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no. Um, so I heard someone talking the other day about... Um, their brother goes um, goes to bishop school, right? And has um, black friends from their time at at bishop school who have now a few years ahead of them and are now entering university, and are struggling in their identity as a black yeah. male. 
because they're surrounded by other black people and they feel too white to be right. received by their black um, peers right. and not white enough to fit into. I, I'd love you to talk to how much does, particularly in our context in South Africa, how much is the color of our skin still um, impacting our identity and not like as more reconciliation takes place, mm. how, do, how is that shifting or not shifting? Do you know what I mean? Just speak to I, people's identity <clears throat> and, and race. I, well, I, I think uh, our skin color and identity is so integrally tied in South Africa. It's just, we live in a racialized society. Um, it was designed to do that, and we still do that. And 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 I, I we're not in a post-racial world. And I'm honestly, I don't think we're going to be in a post-racial world um, until Jesus comes back. Uh, when, by the way, and I don't even know what post-racial means, because I think the that our differences and our uniqueness are are beautiful things made in the image of God. Um, so so. You know, Steve Biko is right when he says black is beautiful. And, and mm. I think we need to say, actually, it's right. And so so those young men, they, they need to be able to say, I'm so black and I'm, I'm proud of that. it and it's beautiful and it's good. And I'm sure there's also some cultural dynamics. So, but when I say racialized is that we make assumptions about people based on their skin color. Right. And so black people are supposed to behave a certain way. They're supposed to like a certain kind of music. Uh, white people are supposed to like a certain kind of music. They're supposed to enjoy rugby and burros and, you know, all these kind of things. <coughs> um, and so, so we make those assumptions. And there's negative assumptions with that as well. So we make assumptions like black people are lazy. Uh, you can't trust black people. That's why black people get followed in shops. I don't. Um, so we, we make assumptions about that. And so identity is still so closely related to our skin color. Um, and I, I think actually in South Africa we need to learn to we we don't make we don't make judgments on people based on their skin color. I think that's something we've got to unlearn. But I think we need to say it's okay to be our skin color. We need to be yes. to be proud in that. Particularly people who've been oppressed because of their skin color and told right. they're lesser and they are lesser because of their skin color. As I think white people we probably need to probably sit a little more a little less comfortably in our skin color. Uh, I think white supremacy has a big history in South Africa and apartheid has put it in us mm. um, I struggle with it um, as someone who's had a very very mixed um, upbringing I still I find it and I say why do I privilege and power well still privilege and power and saying why do I think my voice is more important why, why do I feel like I need to speak in this context because I've been taught my voice is better than others yeah. and so I need to interrogate that but so I think our identity is, is integrally linked to to skin to our skin color because of racial stereotypes racial judgments racialized uh, racializing patterns we make but i think so having said that uh, which is obviously once it's a negative thing i i think we we actually mustn't get away from saying that someone's identity is not linked to their skin color it i think it's have a, to be it, uh, sorry well well in the sense in the sense it's like you know what my my friend is black and it's okay. He needs to be proud of that. It's part of who he is. He's a Tosa man. He, he can be, that's a good thing. And so that is part of his identity. Um, but surely he can also be proud of yes. the education that he got. Or, exactly, yeah. Um, he doesn't have to be embarrassed that he speaks yeah, too yeah. much like an English boy and not enough sure. like a Tosa boy. Well, exactly. Look, I, I think, I, I think we, we, we come into this, this, this 
kind of time in South Africa where things are mixing. And I don't want to mm. presume to speak for for uh, black people yes. there. Um, I don't want to because I think that's a unique struggle, one that I don't have. Sure. Um, but I think I think there needs to be an ability to say I, I'm I'm proud of my black skin, yes. and I can be I can I can be proud of someone who perhaps who speaks closer, but also who speaks English. Yes. If, I I, th I think, but how do we do that? Because because we, we, we've also polarized those. Because we, we live in a racialized society, we've polarized that and we make assumptions based on people, based yes. about people because of how they speak English. Yes. Because they do that. So if even you, so even if you speak good English, you, you, you're carrying some of those assumptions. Right. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know how to get over all of that. Yeah. But the one thing I've loved, well, another thing that I've loved about the study cohort is just um, that the reminder that the gospel speaks so much to identity and yes. dignity. And so it's, mm. it's almost given me this new hope that the church has such a huge role in right. this time, in our generation, Absolutely. in our city, in our country now, and in the mess of post-apartheid right. mix. Right. It's just a mess. Yeah. That actually, the church has a voice to say, um, the gospel can give you your identity. The gospel yeah. is where Absolutely. you discover your your God-given identity yeah. and the, the 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 image that you're meant to bear and the dignity that's meant to be restored. Absolutely. Um, and 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 I think sorry, I I don't think I was doing a very good job, but I, that's absolutely right. The gospel gives us identity, but because but when we are secure in the gospel, I think it it means it doesn't have to mean a choice between our Hossa, uh yes. heritage or our our blackness or or our our English speaking or our our. our you know the community we come from, and I think we need to to learn to to say actually the gospel actually um, frees us to be who we yes. are in a way yes. that doesn't look down on others because of who they are, and I th I think that's what we need. So there's a sense that I'm going the people who should in one sense be um, the the strongest, proudest, um, best exponents of what it means to be a black. Black or a male, in some ways, should be should be Christian men who who can stand yes. in that image, um, and 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 be proud of it because of Je because Jesus gives it dignity. Because the you know apartheid society said it's not worthy, it's second class, and Jesus says no, it's it's wor you're worthy as you are. And if you happen to speak English as well with a lovely accent, well, fine, <laughs> you you work that out. I'm I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John, we have so much to learn from yeah. you. Just tell us a bit about some of the podcasts that you've done or where people can find your podcast podcast channel right. and your website just so that people can mm. find out more about what you're doing. So um, everything's on. Uh, everything kind of goes through our, our website, isipamano.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. I think Isipamano. Isipamano is for Biblical, Center for Biblical Justice. I think that's the full name of the Facebook page. Um, yeah, and... Um, We've we've done a number of podcasts just trying to explore some of these issues some more. There's some articles, there's some talks up. Um, yeah, just exploring cross-centered because the gospel really has got to be at the center of all we do. Mm. And the go the gospel gives meaning and and hope and the and a richness to justice that the that the world cannot give. Um, and so so cross-centered contextual justice in the South African context. What does it mean to be God's people in this place and this time in this country with our terrible, beautiful, broken history and all the mess that it is with our, our mix of cultures and, and, our, and our, our, our massive challenges going forward? What does it mean to be God's people in this place, holding out the good news of hope no, um, in this place? Um, so... 
Amazing. So, John, just one more thing. Yes. If you are thinking of the Cape Townian Christ followers that are listening in now, right. and you could tell them one thing that you'd encourage them as individuals to do, something that they could do tonight or tomorrow that would help them take just a next step, what would it, what would it be in terms of us taking steps in the right direction towards um, a new future together as a country? I, I would say... Um, Spend time with someone who is different to you. Listen to their story. Not so that you can talk. Just listen to their story. If they don't ask for your story, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Particularly if you're white, it doesn't matter. You've had time to tell your story. Uh, listen to their story. Even better, if you can listen to their story in their context. Where they live. Where they work. And if, particularly if it's a very different context to you. And that's going to be scary. Um, but that's going to start changing. It's going to start changing the way you think individually. It's going, to start this, it's going to start asking questions about your community, about your church, about the structures of our country. And it's a long and a messy and a nuanced journey. But if we can start to, to listen, to really hear and to really see one another, that's going to start to change, change how we think and, how, and what we do. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for telling your story and just for your incredible insights and all the best for Espambano. Right. Thanks, Sharon. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our channel, Living Social Justice, on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. You can also find more resources on our website, commongood.org.za, including our Justice Journey courses, devotional content, and volunteer opportunities. Bye for now.